<laughs> it's so funny. That's the last thing on my note. Violet shows up so family can say goodbye. And then it's the next section. <laughs> it's really the next scene. It's like <laughs> too much jumping around. It's like five. <laughs> so many plots. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Champs. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year the Bash at the Beach wrestling event happened at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. It is best known for the time that Hulk Hogan did a heel turn where a good guy revealed he was actually evil. Oh, I like it. See, all these old people, man, they just end up being evil for some reason. Like, don't trust them, (laughs) even if they... They repping that Hulkamania. They they are like the Hulk. They got the 27-inch pythons. Or even if their name has good in it. <laughs> yeah. And last little thing about it. Man, Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger faced off against a team known as the Outsiders. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Great. Gretchen Good is Hulk Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to see a lot about that, though, in a couple more episodes of Young Justice. But today, (laughs) we're continuing on for coverage of Young Justice Outsiders. So, very appropriately named. I don't think anyone was hit in a chair with a chair uh, during this episode. I would assume somebody was hit with a chair in that bash that happened, though. (laughs) Uh, so, yes, we are continuing on with our coverage of Young Justice. We are covering episodes 20 to 21 today. Uh, and these title episodes are Quiet Conversations and Unknown Factors. Uh, we're going to be going through January 1st. So we are in this new year of Young Justice all the way to the late, late date of January 22nd. So right up until Martin Luther King Jr. Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to come back, guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and because of the kind of stuff that does come up in what we learn about today in our two episodes, a lot of focus on Cyborg, a lot of focus on Granny Goodness, and a lot of technology that might be put into place, figured it'd be nice to call this one the new interface, which is also mm. something I guess you could say too about if a foot comes into your face whenever you're at a inside of a wrestling ring. <laughs> I like these wrestling times. Let's see if we can work some more in as we keep going. <laughs> All right, well we gotta do it. We gotta do it like this. And now we have our cast list coming in with a double G name. We got Gretchen Good, who is voiced by Deborah Strang. Coming in with his own chair, we have Phil Lamar voicing Metron. Oh, uh, uh, nice. <laughs> Thank you. <It's> nice. <laughs> <laughs> this man is cooking it up, and you might say that he has a bit of a, I got nothing for this guy, 
We got Silas, the Dr. Bad Father Stone, as Carrie Payton continues to voice this man. <laughs> Bringing new life into the world, we have Masa Masasa Moyo and Kevin Michael Richardson, who return as the voice of Bumblebee and Michael Malcolm Duncan, who's given us a little update about what's going on in their lives. Mm. And finally, coming in at a staggering height of feet and inches that I did not do the research for. <laughs> You've seen her in the good place where she was Vicky or the real Eleanor. Movies like The Internship starring Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. And probably most popularly, the voice of Sabine Wren in the animated series Star Wars Rebels. So to all you Ahsoka fans out there, give a round of applause to Pia Sikar who is voicing dolphin in our episodes today <laughs> it's such a great great lead up and then you say her name and... yeah <laughs> <laughs> no offense to her name but it's just like it's there's nothing intimidating about it especially with dolphin <laughs> you're in atlantis so maybe it means something different but down here on the surface it's like this is why we clown you atlanteans <laughs> like come on <laughs> so now that our contestants are all sets Let's say the tube over to the beginning of quiet conversations. Here we have a loud conversation because Victor <laughs> is yelling at his dad. Typical stuff. We did wonder where Victor has gone. And now we know he was out on the streets yelling about his father this whole time. He, he yells so much. He gets so tired out and he falls in an alley and Sometime later, Fred Bug is walking in the streets and he finds uh, Victor on the street. And I do like there's a moment where v Fred Bug is in his glamour, but in his reflection, you see him mm -hmm. um, as the bug in case you forgot. Because, again, there's a lot of things you might have forgotten in this episode. And this is where we get the revelation after finding Victor that he is slowly being taken over by the father box. And there's only a few things that might be able to save him. Yeah, so at this moment, we see that uh, Dr. Helga J, she is tending to his care. He does seem to be stable, but of course, we, this is Father Bach's new god technology. So Superboy decides to go find somebody that he knows might be able to help, and he comes back with Dreamer, uh, Dreamer of the Forever People. So we last saw or first met Dreamer back in our season one episode where Superboy got a chance to ride on the, uh, I don't know, it was, it was kind of like the Ultron Megazord <laughs> the situation <laughs> that they were able to turn into. Um, so Dreamer brings forward this mother box. And as we know, mother boxes and father boxes tend to compete against each other. But the mother box is the one that is able to really try and heal and try to do things. Uh, it's revealed by the mother box that, unfortunately, the only thing that could probably heal Victor at this point to purge him of all of the father box tech that's spreading throughout his body is the Mobius chair that Metron is famously known for using. Uh, so at this point, also, we have another character from our show who we haven't seen in a while, and that is uh, Violet, who Tara and Forger come in and they are very upset because uh, Violet has vanished leaving behind a note saying that she's sorry and then she has that she has decided to leave. Yeah, and um, hope you're clouding the plots because we're just getting started with the plots in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we do see 
as they're making their plan, dreamers like, I would love to go, but I don't want to. And she just straight up leaves, but gives them a mother box right. <laughs> to, <laughs> to go and find Metron. Uh, we see a quick moment where Helga makes out with Jeff as Jeff decides to go on this mission as well. Um, Breon Markov, he's still feeling sad about everything that's happened with Violet, finding out that Violet's the body of Violet Gabriel in a previous life uh, basically paved the way for the execution of his parents. So he's still a little bit sad about that. Um, so he chooses to stay behind. The, uh, the, the trio of Jeff, Redbug, and Superboy use the mother box and follow Metron to the source wall, which I'm sure you know much more about than me. It just looks like a bunch of statues um, to me. So they're arriving at the source wall. But before we can cover any of that, we step over to Happy Harbor, where Harper and McGann are having a very, very serious conversation. Yes, so here we have plot number three. Um, yeah, yes. so <laughs> um, they're having this conversation in the office. And once again, McGann is operating as, I'm assuming, a guidance counselor for Happy Harbor High School. Uh, she shares from her own eyes that she's seeing bruises around Harper's body, uh, specifically on her lower neck. This is when Harper defensively claims that it was just her and her brother. They were roughhousing. And, you know, that kind of stating that, like, kids are going to be kids. And she tries to change the subject by asking what happened to Violet. Because, again, um, in our previous episodes, we do see that this bond has been formed between the two of them. And uh, possibly the last time they actually saw each other was during the kiss that they shared before they were arrested for gun violence. Um, so, and yeah, I just realized how weird yeah. that sounded when I said it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um. So this is where McGann tries to swing it back because she is trying to say, tell her that, like, I get that you're concerned about Violet. But at the same time, I do want to talk about what's happening with you. Like, what brought you to this point where it's just like we're having this conversation Um. and even states that, like, don't you don't need to worry about Violet because people are out there looking for her, even though she is missing. Um, but if you can, if you do know anything, please let us know. And this is when Harper shares, it must be nice to have people who care about you. Uh, we now jump back to one of our previous plot points. Again, this is where uh, Artemis has decided to go with Tara, and they've taken Spear to go and see if they could find Violet. So they fly off into the distance. As we hop over to uh, the bar, where there's a woman and a young man who are in the house and they hear a knock at the door and they're both shocked to see who it is because they see Violet. But this is where we're introduced to Madia and Samad Dao, who are Violet's or Gabrielle's uh, biological mother and her cousin. And they're just so happy to see her because even in that point, when they call her Gabrielle, Violet responds by calling her mother. But don't worry about that quite yet because we got to get to plot number four. Um, we got to see that catching up with Calder and the Metatine that he took in. Um, I don't want to just say nameless Metatine, so I'm just going to start calling her Dolphin now. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So 
Dolphin is adjusting because her surface language, apparently English is not meant to be sp- spoken underwater. Um, so she's been having trouble understanding Aqualad. I mean, Aquaman. Um, so Aquaman goes, takes her to Atlantis and he is instantly able to do something, do a magic spell where she can now speak Atlantean. Um, so first of all, this is better than Duolingo. Uh, secondly, <laughs> um, secondly, if he could do this at any time, why didn't he <laughs> before? <laughs> why, yeah. why did he wait until they were underwater? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because I'm just like, it's, I don't know if it's like influence based because he has more water to work with, but again, it was magic. So why not just get into the same, she was in that same little water pod, just get in there with her and, and try to see if you can decipher what to do for her and tell her like, hey, I'm going to take you to Atlantis so that we can help you there versus like, we're just going to show up in Atlantis and hope for the best. So we step out of Atlantis back to our other one of our plot lines where uh, Silas has arrived in the the home base and Vic is told that if he stresses out, he'll transform more. And that's exactly what happens because his father is a big source of stress for him. So the technology just warps his body in a really uh, painful looking scene where metal is just jutting out of him. He's in pain. So. Again, you don't want to see any of that. So let's go over back to space <laughs> where we have Jeff, Fredbug, and Superboy. And at this point, I have to ask, why the hell does Jeff not have a space suit on? Yo, I've been wondering that the entire time. Because <laughs> it's like, y'all are like, it's not even like a, I'm in a, in a spaceship out in space. Like, y'all in the thick of it. Y'all in the no air space. And they're just hopping around. Uh, because at this point, it's revealed that once again, they're on the source wall. Forger being a creature from New Genesis knows very much about all of this. And he refers to them as like the old Promethean gods. Uh, so quick recap, because I think we did talk about it like, dang, like if I'm going to the the like the deep recesses of my memory, probably like from season one. <laughs> um, <laughs> the source wall is basically the bridge between all reality um, and the the multiverse in in a way, um, and even to a bigger concept. So, and it's this wall is uh, filled with like in this universe is filled with, like the old Promethean gods, um, but it's also used as some of the prison. Uh, There's some comics that have even shown that like Dark Side got pushed all the way to the Source Wall by Superman and was and was put there. And the thing about the source wall is that, again, it stops people, it stops the universes from colliding. So this is the wall between, like, the Marvel Universe and the DC oh. Universe or other other properties and other IPs. So this is why, again, you won't see Flash and Quicksilver face off against each other, except for maybe in, like, a Screwatech death battle YouTube video or something. <laughs> uh but as they're going through, they realize Forger is just ecstatic because, again, he's just saying that, like, he's never he's heard about these old Promethean gods. So it's like really cool to be able to just venture around and see who they are. Uh, Jefferson is a little upset because he starts realizing that he is standing on the face of one and that they first appeared by walking through the nose of one. And I I, I understand his discomfort. Like, you don't know how it's been. It's probably been like. 
a millennia since this thing has been up there. You don't know what kind of boogers might be coming down or something. <laughs> he does bring a little bit of like ground to it that I like. Yeah. Um, and they also, while there, they're following Metron again and they boom away. And they boom right into a battle where they see Superman and Superboy calls Superman his brother, which I thought was a choice. Yeah, I've been realizing that since I don't know if they did that in season two, but like season three has been since that was the change. That was just like, yeah, Superman's my brother versus like he's my clone. Like I'm his actual son. Like he in all other media, I feel like it's always been like. Superman, Superboy are like kind of father son, but not quite. I guess because over time they it was just been like it doesn't seem like Kal-El didn't really have any other family, um. So he just assumed that like this is this is like my colleague, this is my friend because we've been battling against each other and now we are battling with each other, that kind of thing. So I don't. It, it's a weird choice. Um. Yeah. Because I was like, maybe it's because he had Jonathan that he doesn't want to call him son too. Maybe the Roys do that. I I don't know. Oh yeah, I think yeah. This is yeah because um because that scene when um when Orm tried to kill all the the parents. That's when Jonathan is shown to be there. So I, I guess it would make sense. Or it's just like you can't have like I mean I mean it's not like you can't have it, but it probably be weird for Superman to have like this you know this like two month old son. Plus this like thirty, the sixteen, but actually thirty odd year old individual. Well, that's Al Pacino, so. Uh... Oh. <laughs> Bobby Lois is also like, nah, that's your brother. We not, I'm not having it be that we have this extended of a family or something. Yeah, don't want to start those rumors, right? <laughs> so, we cut quickly back to to Earth, where Vic and Silas Stone are again having a little bit of a disagreement silas volunteers to put his son into a medically induced coma and insist that he should do it no this would not happen no one would let anyone i mean silas is not the most ethical doctor to begin with but trust (laughs) me this would not happen in any hospital um no way would they allow this to happen but now that victor's in a coma he cut back to space where superman is struggling against some parademons so luckily, the other members of the team come in clutch to give him the edge he needs. And this is when Super Bo- Superman reveals that he was here to stop Granny from collecting some materials for this doomsday device. And Metron's like, you're too late for that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but he is. they do talk to Metron, and Metron is curious about what the Father Box is doing to Vic. So he agrees to go to Earth with them. Superman also agrees to be Superboy's best man. I'm not going to keep that as another He doesn't, plot, even, know. He doesn't even know about them getting engaged. Uh, it's There's no point in dwelling on it because we've got to go back to Harper Row, uh, that plot right now. Yes. Uh, so here we have that again. It is this conversation between McGann and Harper where uh, McGann even states that, you know, I saw that your brother recently came in and he had a black eye. Harper continues to say that, you know, the two of them are just roughhousing. And this is mainly because she knows what will happen if she reports it to the authorities, what truly happened, which is that she is in an abusive household. Um, 
So she's afraid that if she reports this, the two of them will get split up and she probably might never see her brother again. So she states once again, we were roughhousing and I'm telling you that story right now. Um, speaking about uh, tough conversations to have, we hop on over to the bar again for a plot, the plot with Violet as she tells her mother that she's dying. Um, the Samad, who is her cousin, suggests that they should try looking in, raising some money. You know, the healthcare is kind of trash here where they're at. But um, Violet tells them that, like, hey, I've gone to the best doctors and everyone says that nothing can be done. So she's really only here just to say goodbye. But we'll get back to that later. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, we got to go back to Atlantis where King Aquaman, uh, King Orr, Oh, wait, sorry, or, or not Orm. Orin, Orin, yeah. Orin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, name. what happened? <laughs> what did we get Orin? Name? <laughs> Arthur. Uh, right. Sorry, Arthur. Um, So King Orin is meeting Dolphin, and Dolphin refuses to give her name. Is there, I maybe you'll ex- you can explain, is there a reason for this? None, it's like they're comic <laughs> None that I can find. I will do a bit more research, but honestly, there was no reason as to why I like she just did not want to give her name. Like it is really weird. <laughs> okay, so yeah, yeah, so she doesn't give the name to the king who is letting her stay here for free, and um, <laughs> the king is ecstatic with Aquaman. He's saying, "I've always wanted you to step up." I'm so proud of you. I was particularly excited about the Ivo victory. And this is where you get Aquaman expressing a pang of regret that Dolphin is the only one to hone in on mm-hmm. uh, for some reason. And he, you can see some regret about it um, from Aquaman's side. Meanwhile, we cut to another plot line, a brief little split where um, Brion is being sad and brooding by himself. And Helga comes out to talk and says... Hey, I know you're really sad right now, but just so you know, you're inspiring people. You're in your country. You should go and your country is turning around on you. You should go and do some social media for them. So while he's doing that, we go back to the Victor plot line. Um, It sounds like we're fast forwarding, but this is actually how the episode is playing out. So (laughs) back to the Victor plot line. Metron's here. Uh, Metron's here to help. but not really. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so as he enters the room, they're like, yeah, we got Metron. He's here to save Vic. And Metron's just like, I'm not here to save your Vic. I'm here to watch him die because he states that he's never seen a father box completely override an organic system. And honestly, it would be fun to watch. It's be, it'd be fun to even study this, to see it in person. Uh, everybody's shocked. Everybody's just like, "Yo, we just went out and grab, like, tried to get you to help our friend." And I love Jefferson for this moment because <laughs> <laughs> my boy leans over the Superboy and was just like, "Yo, but for real though, Dreamer said we didn't need. We only we just only needed the chair. We really need Metron." So Superboy runs up, drops a fade on Metron real quick. <laughs> <laughs> But Metron wants to show that he is him and says, you do realize I'm a new god. You were 0.5 of nothing. And I was like, jeez, like what happened to you, Metron, that you are that evil? 
So he hits Superboy with some kind of blast. And at this point, um, Jefferson starts attacking Metron with Black Lightning and forces him to the ground. And it's just a great scene because at this point, it does seem like Black Lightning wants to let loose. And he does because it's so the, the lightning is so powerful that it actually pushes Metron down to the ground so that everybody frantically can start grabbing Victor so that they can put him into Metron's chair to see what can be done. Results later, but for now, back to Atlantis, um, <laughs> where I, I can't let them get away with this. Because mm-hmm. when, it, when, uh, when Calder introduces Dolphin to his parents um, that she'll be staying with, he casually tells his, says, yeah, my dad is from the surface too, San Diego. Excuse me? <laughs> what? <laughs> Are we, no, we can't let that one slide. Where the hell? He has gills? Yeah. He has I... gills the whole time? <laughs> Please tell me this is a real thing and they didn't just make this up for the show? No, no, it's real. It's real. Um, so, yes, <laughs> it is like he is in it because there's so many different versions of Aqualad. We do have the most recent version that um, this that Cal is based off of, which is Jackson Hyde, I believe his name is. Um so, and in that story, yes, Calvin Durham is his father, and it's never really specified how Calvin got Gills, but I'm assuming it's a redone version of the Aquaman origin story where the two actually got together, were able to have a happy marriage. <laughs> okay, uh, all right, San Diego, man, I'll let this one slide. <laughs> Or maybe just in San Diego, people have gills, and we just don't know that. We'll find out more later. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to a San Diego hood. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we we cut back. Well, before we cut back, Dolphin pulls Aquaman aside and says, I know you lied earlier, but you're not a bad man because bad men don't feel bad when they lie. Which I was like, okay, great. Why? This is coming from somebody you just met. <laughs> anyway, back to Harper. So Harper here, she is still trying to shift blame and deflect. She says, Violet, how do you know that was a Violet's gun that I used? And McGann is, you know, just carefully and with nuance trying to get her to reveal more. And Harper hints that her dad is an alcoholic. So she wanted to get the gun out of the house away from her father. Um, and McGann also hits her hard with saying, you know, I've seen plenty of bruises on you, but I never saw one on Cullen until you went to jail. So if you keep down this path and there's going to be a day you can't protect him. And this is where Harper confesses and says, my dad hits me. And that's when she starts this road of recovery to help. Um, definitely want to unpack that separately, but, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, that closes up Harper's for now. Back to Victor. And it is just as jarring a transition, trust me. <laughs> uh, so at this point, as they are figuring out what to do, um, Su- Superboy is able to call for the mother box to activate Metron's chair so that it could start healing Victor. Uh, at this point, some cables start coming out of the chair. It starts inserting itself into Victor at different points. Um, 
we see that the chair starts to glow as this light travels down the, the cables and into Victor as his own body starts to glow the same color as the lights. And we get a really cool visual scene as the the beam, you can see it going through his entire body with like the nervous system, the blood cells, every single part of it. And it's like, um, it's clear that the father box color of, of is kind of like this purplish color. So as the blue light goes through, it starts dissipating all the purple throughout his body. Um, so you started seeing less and less of these like horrific pieces, these jagged pieces that the father box has left inside of his nervous system. Uh, at that moment, when everything does seem to be clear, Victor lets out one more scream, and we see in a very nice callback to what we've been hearing about, like even for Gabrielle's transformation, which does get commented on, is that the soul of the father box exits out of Victor's mouth, and it does seem as if it just gets absorbed by the chair, meaning now that um, the father box has returned to the source, according to Forger. And it's very similar, again, to what happened to Gabrielle and when she turned into Violet. Um, so now that uh, that everybody realizes that Victor has been completely cleansed, and even Victor states that he does feel even more of a difference from the last times that he was purged, Jefferson decides to let, let go of um, Metron, who, again, mentions that Victor has been purged, and he's very upset that he missed the opportunity to study such a wonderful thing of the father box taking over an organic system so when he sits back down in the chair uh you know superboy states you know I'm, i can see why bear punched that guy the last time but jefferson has one last question and he says i know i'm not your favorite person but i need you to tell me when you mentioned granny earlier did you mean gretchen good are they the same person and metron responds with no and yes before he disappears leaving us with some more unanswered questions i mean he's gonna troll and they just beat the man out of his chair <laughs> i would have dragged him back i was like no you will not leave you will answer my question with more than three words sir <laughs> this man hasn't stood up in years and this is like <laughs> of course he's gonna troll y'all um and now we cut back to Violet, and Violet has now come clean. She explains her whole journey this season uh, to the to the mom and the cousin. And while the mom is very accepting, the cousin is not. And understandable if you were told your cousin came back as this not quite human person, according to her, uh, according to them, you know, it would definitely throw you off. So... Um, the mother accepts it, says, this is closure for me. Thank you. While the cousin leaves. And then we get a montage of a lot of plots at once. We mm -hmm. see Harper and Cullen are going to what looks like a group home. We see Aquaman in a relationship with his boyfriend. We see... I I, I kind of got lost track of <laughs> what are other things happen in this month. Yes, <laughs> a uh, lot, a lot. So we also see too that um, as Silas was about to leave, Victor does bring him, hold him back, and uh, the two of them actually have an embrace. So we see now in the flat in this like montage that Superboy is watching Victor still talking and hanging with his father. 
Um, what was another plot point? I think it was. Yeah, I think also we do see kind of like the return of everybody coming together. And this is where we kind of, oh, also we do see that Jefferson and Helga are sitting together. Um, fortunately, they people started to come in, so they couldn't continue their game of Uno. Um, so this is when Brion and Violet finally make eye contact for the first time after being separated for so long. And this is a continuous montage scene. But we do see now an actual animated scene where um, Tara is on the phone. She's outside on the balcony after everybody's gone to bed. And she gets a phone call from Deathstroke. And she explains that she has nothing to report because it's been quite dull. And promises that if something comes up, she will tell him. Um, But this does feel like there's a lot that happened here. So while Deathstroke is wondering if his, you know, he doesn't know that maybe Terra might be starting to get swayed over. Um, you can quite say that this is an unknown factor for him as we jump over to our next episode, Unknown Factors. Yes. Nightwing continues a specific running joke is where he hits on his girlfriend during the mission because he's <laughs> talking to Barbara um, and talking about some playtime, I get everyone's playing Uno in this show. I don't understand. It's it's a craze, so crash. <laughs> um, but Jeff calls him out and says, "Can we focus on the mission?" And the mission is that Nightwing has borrowed a mother box, and he has detected some apocalyptic tech within the Granny Goodness's house, and he knows Granny Goodness is out. So. Jeff doesn't really want to do this illegally. He doesn't want to break into a house where nothing is happening. No one's in trouble. But Nightwing insists upon it. (laughs) And the break-in goes really well until the two of them fall into a boom tube to locations unknown. And that, your friends, is the title drop. Yes. Um, So it is quite jarring because also at the same time, Oracle or Barbara Gordon, she's witnessing this happening from her camera feeds and does lose the signal. So while we're both, we're all left unknowing what's happening, we do hop over to Atlantis once again, where we see that Wind um, and Aquaman, the two of them, again, establishing the fact that they are in a relationship with one another. They're watching um, Dolphin interact with uh, Aquaman's parents. And this is when we finally get the actual name drop of her choosing the name Dolphin, which Aquaman says is like, you know, it clearly is one of the most lovable creatures of the seven seas. But his in- his conversation gets cut short when we see, which I think is a really cool animation kind of style where it's just like whenever he's in communication with this secret anti-light team, his eyes do kind of light up to indicate that um they are trying to communicate with him. And Oracle starts telling him that uh, Nightwing and Jefferson have been missing for the past almost 24 hours and he's really reluctant to join to even get involved in this because again any Justice League involvement like this especially given the fact it's going to be at the home of Gretchen Good could be seen as like a negative thing towards the League and he starts asking is there anyone else that can help um, who's a part of this anti-light and Barbara sharing that unfortunately uh, Wonder Woman is still out in space. Batman and Robin are in Africa. Um, Doing what? <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to figure that out. I was like, Static already got it. Static and Anansi will have that handled. <laughs> what do y'all need to be in Africa for? <laughs> um, 
but also McGann is on a mission with the uh with the team. So really Aquaman is really the only one that knows that Nightwing went out on this mission. Uh clearly though the technology isn't quite well. The interface still needs a little bit of work because in order to respond to these messages, Aquaman has to state these things very loudly. So Wind overhears them and states that like, okay, it sounds like you need some backup. Um, so I'll go with you because, you know, they've undergone military training together. And I do like this one thing where Wynn shares that, like, unlike Calder, I did, he did not drop out of the conservancy of sorcery. So he could be Calder's ass any day of the week. I I love it. It's like she, he's like, don't come to the surface world. Things are too tense right now. He's like, bro, I served in the military. What are you talking about? This is what I'm <laughs> I'm built for this. So I do love that exchange between the two of them. So as they leave for the surface, we see we catch up with Mal and Karen as, you know, a.k.a. Bumblebee. And she is very pregnant. <laughs> She's about <laughs> to have a baby. And they discuss the baby's gender and more heated subject is whether their child will be a meta or not. And Karen kind of casually mentioned she's been studying the genome and possibly knows a way to alter the genome of a child to make sure that they do become a metahuman of some sort. And Mal is kind of curious about it. He's kind of like, maybe this is something we should do to give our child every advantage. And Karen is very reluctant. She's like, should we, is it our position to meddle? It might happen naturally. Let's let the chips fall where they might. And in the middle of this argument, they're in this snow-covered road Karen's water breaks and they're off to the hospital. So we get cut back to the tower. We get a quick, again, reconciliation between Victor and Silas. They are on good terms now, but Victor has decided to stay with the team. Just as Beast Boy and Brion arrive, having barely defeated the most Jack character of this uh, particular section, Condiment King. Yes, uh, he left Beast Boy bloody, or rather not bloodied, but uh, ketchup, mustard, barbecue sauce, and hoisin sauce, uh, because he found a way for some reason to get Beast Boy to slip on all this stuff, and Beast Boy ends up spraining his wrist during that fight. I don't know about you, but if I was Condiment King, I was I would be making jokes about that for the rest of my life. Like, homie really slipped on this hoisin sauce, and and broke his wrist. <laughs> yeah, even Captain Boomerang had trouble with Beast Boy. You tell right. me he was handling Beast Boy? That's a good resume builder. <laughs> right? It's like right now, it's like Bane breaking Batman's back and Condiment King breaking Beast Boy's wrist are like <laughs> the titles right now of like the most Jack character. <laughs> I was born in the luster. I didn't see a ketchup until I was a mob. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but everybody is at least thrilled that they made their way back and that Condiment King was taken into custody. Um, including Halo, who comes out to congratulate them and shares that she is checking out the "We Are All Outsiders" uh, hashtag, which is still going strong. So Geoforce uses this as an excuse to just get away, um, because again, they still haven't talked about Halo and Geoforce haven't talked with each other 
since she admitted that um, Gabrielle was a part of his parents' assassination. And when uh, Violet is trying to see if maybe she can just, you know, go and talk with him, um, Helga Jace comes over and dissuades her from doing so. And because the other part of it, too, is that, like, Violet has not shared with Rion about this terminal illness. And Helga says, until we can figure it out, I need to speak with my mentor. Um, we, You should just still keep it under wraps. So she agrees to do that. Uh, meanwhile, though, we do see that unlike our previous episode, we are jumping to plot one again, where Aquaman and Wind are outside Good's Mansion trying to figure out how to enter the building. Yes. And um, Barbara is ready to support them, ready to say, look, I can hack you in or something. And Aquaman's like, that's not going to be necessary. And like a boss, he walks through the front door and says, mm-hmm. Granny, come on level with me can you can we talk for a second and granny comes in like i know who y'all looking for i know you know what i'm not i'm not one i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna take you right there okay so they um granny agrees to take the duo to the to where their um compadres are meanwhile we cut over to mal and karen and mal this man He is trying to rush Karen's labor so she could have the baby on Martin Luther King Day. My man. I I can't hate you. Right. (laughs) My man's like, we are the blackest people in this show. We're going to have the blackest baby if we can. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So. Of course, Karen is quite upset about this because, um, you know, Mal's not doing any of the work that she is currently doing. And after uh, what does seem to be a very intense labor, um, they do give she does give birth to a baby girl um, and everything seems to be fine. Unfortunately, the uh, the OBGYN who is who is there, she states that the baby's fingers and lips are blue which is a sign of cyanosis. Um, So they start rushing the baby away and they're questioning like what's going on with the kid. And we cut from that scene because right at that moment, she shares that something is wrong with the baby, but we apparently have to hop back over to, um, to the the headquarters where Beast Boy and Victor are like talking about like how Victor has this really cool new tech. He's showing him how Blue Beetle showed him how to make a cannon from his hand. And they decide that maybe this is a time to test out Victor's new, like, abilities and strength. Yes. And in one word, he can lift, bro, because he is Mm -hmm. actually the truly most jacked character. As with just a slight adjustment, he's not only lifting, clearing 220 pounds with one arm, but he's throwing that into the next ceiling where hopefully nobody was standing. (laughs) Um, And this, this is a really nice moment because, because Cyborg has not been allowed to have fun in a very long time in this season. So it's fun to see Cyborg and Beast Boy get along. Um, Elsewhere, Brion and Helga are talking. Helga's trying to give him some relationship advice, saying, look, wait for her to come to you. And when she does, uh, that's when that's let her talk, you know, let her, because she's ready to come to you. And, Right from there, we go back to Karen and Mal. And I love this line where the nurse, Karen is putting on her suit to shrink. And nurse goes, I take the babies out of the moms. 
I never put the moms in the babies. <laughs> <laughs> that was honestly one of my favorite lines in this entire series. So far. <laughs> yeah. I love that line so much. And um, Karen decides she's going to shrink down. She's going to go inside of a syringe and get injected so that she can personally see to her baby's heart. And as we wait to see what will come of this, we cut back to the, the Atlantean duo. As they enter into the home again, uh, Gretchen is clearly showing that she knows where they are. So she decides to take Aquaman and Wind down into this area called the X-Pit. Um, so they start falling, um, like falling into the ground, and then they're, they're in this red cube. And they are now in this place where it just seems like there is nothing at all. Everything has just been, it just seems to be like a a yellowish continuous emptiness um, where at first it does seem like they're pretty safe but then when they make their way over to where um, Nightwing and Black Lightning are it shows that they're in this like constant state of torture Um, you can see that like it almost seems as if like pieces of their body are missing as if they're kind of being erased from the like from existence um, and they're screaming in pain as we just hear constantly over and over um, that, you know, the pain that you're doing, the pain that you're going through will make sure that you follow Darkseid's will. Uh, it's a jarring experience because, of course, Aquaman and Wind are quite upset about seeing their friends in this state. So Gretchen Good states, hey, if you want to go and get them, you can do so. Just go out, um, go, go outside the Red Cube. And you can just bring them back in and we'll take you can leave with them. Unfortunately, though, because they leave the Red Cube, they start going through the same experience that Jefferson and Nightwing are going through. And luckily, Wind is able to um, activate his Atlantean um, marks around his body, showing that apparently it does create a bit of a buffer between this chaos state that that they're in in the X-Pit. Um, so now that they're both able to activate their their ink, um, they start grabbing everybody. And we do see that Wind also grabs the mother box. And this is when they fall back into the uh, to the red cube and Gretchen brings them back up to her regular home. Yeah. And uh, heel turn nightlight are evil now. They've been brainwashed in the X-Pit and now they're ready to fight. So as they prepare to fight, we cut back to uh, Karen, who is now shrunk down. She has repaired her daughter's heart. And this is where we get, I'm going to say, one of the best scenes in Young Justice, full Mm -hmm. stop. Because she says, I need a minute. And she shrinks down to her baby's DNA. And as we hear her describing how, at a lecture from a different scene about how you can alter the baby's DNA. She starts altering her child's DNA. She made a decision. And I thought this scene was so incredible because they posed the question at first. It just seemed like a straight shot. If your child is not naturally born with the gift, you know, they'll find other gifts. They'll, they'll have something in their life. But here, after a child suffers something a heart condition right at birth, she says to herself, what if I can prevent her from ever feeling sick, ever getting sick again, if I could just turn her into a metahuman? Now, granted, 
she has no idea what powers were result. She has no idea what she's actually doing, what effect it might have on her child. But she knows this is the only chance she'll ever have to make that change. And she decides to take it. I, I think as a concept beyond a superhero show, as a short story, mm-hmm. even this would function incredibly well. And I think this is by far one of the finest scenes in the show. Yeah, I love the part two where it does come into the question of the ethical debate because it played really nicely along with like the, all the other scenes that we're seeing them go through where they're in the car and they're talking about like, what does it mean because of, um, you know, now that more kids are being tested for the Medigene and even something we forgot to mention, um, Mal went to go get tested for the Medigene and he states that he doesn't have it. So now it's definitely clear that like, there's a possibility a daughter might never have the Medigene because um, Karen tested herself originally and she said she didn't have it. So there's a possibility that the same thing might happen to their daughter. And they're wondering, should they actually give their daughter the leg up if they can? And here it is that like this, she mentions it is an ethical debate and it played out really well, especially in like very stressful moments where, you know, again, um, Karen just gave birth. So and she's already going through this, whole thing to try and just save her daughter by adding this patch to her daughter's heart but at the same time mal is freaking out because um you know in the honest and unfortunately in the story that's very unfortunately very common at times where it's just like you have the black mother who um the child something's wrong with the child there's a possibility that they might also lose the mother here it is that mal's seeing that firsthand and it's because he doesn't know if Karen is up to it at this moment because again he's saying you just gave birth like we can find an alternative um so all of these questions that are coming up in a very strong scene which I do I think this is one of the strongest scenes um not only for um where she alters her kids DNA but also the story between the two of them um that played out in like honestly in the span of like five minutes or so it's like really good sorry just in case you're wondering why didn't a doctor come in snow in they set it oh. up earlier. So yes. it was she was the only option. Mm-hmm. So that was another really small thing they didn't have to include, but they did. Yes. They did. They yes. did. Yes. <laughs> Great writing on that story, honestly. It was just so good. Yes. Um, and to continue on with our story, uh, the fighting is still continuing on between light um Black Lightning, Nightwing versus Aquaman and Wind here. They are trying to figure out what to do. Um, fortunately, they do have a bit of an advantage because as Atlanteans, they are stronger than the two my, their two brainwashed comrades. But this is where um, uh, Gretchen states that, you know, yeah, you're stronger, but there's only two of you, meaning that the mother box is still out in range. So she asked her thing, her overlord, as it's called. So we see this little, this giant big head. Um Honestly, kind of looks like a bit more of a robotic version of Modoc, uh, <laughs> who controls more or less everything in her house. It's like this is some crazy interface that she has set up. And as it starts to attack the mother box, we can hear the wailing cries of the mother box. And the only people to actually hear outside of who are there and us are um, Victor and Violet, who immediately stop what they're doing. And say that there's something going on. And this is where we get to see the craziest thing ever. Where Victor is the one that creates a boom tube. 
much the shock of Geoforce and Beast Boy, who are just like, all right, we don't know where he's going, but we're going with him. So now we see that Victor, Halo, Geoforce, and Beast Boy are, as they leap through the boom tube, they end up right in the middle of um, Gretchen Good's mansion. So Victor destroys the laser. Um, Halo starts curing the mother box. And then she also starts purging um, Vic and Lightning of, of the like my, the brainwashing that they went through, which is something of a shock to Gretchen as she realizes how she's doing it. Yeah, I also want to mention a running joke has been how loud boom tubes actually are in these oh, episodes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, they definitely use that to great effect. People are jump out of their skin when a boom tube gets activated. But um, right now, Barbara is able to temporarily knock Granny off her feet. They all decide to cut their losses and go. Um, despite everything that has happened, Granny still seems very confident. She comforts Overlord, but I like to call her Advanced Alexa. And <laughs> we cut over to Karen and Mal. And Karen, I this is something I was truly not expecting. She tells her husband what she did. Mm-hmm. she tells fully tells her husband she made the right choice for her daughter and that leaves it at that and he he's completely fine with it um so there's no hiding of a secret this is this whole story is looped in she made a tough call but it was a call for her daughter and now we close with nightwing and black lightning suffering the effects after effects of being sent to the x-pit uh, yeah, so Jefferson does seem to be kind of a little bit more recovered. And this is probably because he did see, he's probably a bit more shocked and been trying to focus on what he saw because um, unlike everybody else, he did see what shot the what shot the Overlord to help save them. And he realized it's kind of like a bat drone. So he's like questioning how did this happened. He's also questioning, um, you can see in his eyes where he's like questioning how is it that Barbara already knew to like attend to Dick Grayson. Um at this time, though, Aquaman and Wind are just decided to take a step back to just recover from everything. And Wind states that, like, you know, I don't see the appeal of the surface world, but um, if Calder's there, I'll be there. Uh, at the same time, Geoforce comes up and he starts to finally have this conversation with Violet. Uh, also, a fun fact, I realized that Geoforce never talked the entire time in the previous episode. Oh, so- yeah. <laughs> I don't know what ha- if it was something purposeful or if it was something happening behind the scenes, but it's nice down that he actually had a chance to apologize to Violet for his behavior. So when they hug, um, this is where Helga does see what's happening, and she does seem a bit upset. So she starts texting her phone and says there are some complications, and we see that the person who's on the other line is the ultra-humanite. Uh, the not quite gorilla, gorilla grad, uh, but someone who is just as intimidating. Yeah, I just was like, that's an evil monkey. Um, <laughs> I I didn't know which one, one, but I was like, one of them. It's an evil <laughs> one. <of them>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, be, it was a super boy would be quite upset when he sees this. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then we that's how our episode ends. However, we do get for the first time ever in a Young Justice episode, a post credit scene where we see that Gretchen Good is talking with someone because earlier when she saw Violet using her powers to cleanse 
um, Nightwing and Black Lightning, she realizes that she was speaking in the old tongue, this, um, you know, the tongue of the, the old tongue of the gods. So she starts telling this individual that she thinks she's found it. She thinks she has found the anti-life equation. And we see that the person that she's talking to is the one and only dark side. So oh, you got to say matches Malone. <laughs> nah, we gotta. <laughs> that's only for another time. That's gonna be the. That's gonna be the villain for season five. <laughs> Spoilers, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so now that we've got all of this happening here, we finally, after I don't know, this is like twenty-one episodes into the season three, that's been preparing it through the title sequence. We finally heard what the anti-life equation is. Uh, we ask you all to guess, just head on back to season one to find out exactly what that is. So while you do that, um, also check out these podcasts from the Forgotten Entertainment family. So that the next time you're not listening to us, you can listen to them. Hi, I'm Mike Phil. Yeah, I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Generic Ad. Join us every Wednesday as we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you get your podcasts or at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment Family. I swear I talk more in the episodes. All right. Uh, now that we finished out our two episodes, um, and, well, actually, it's probably like two episodes of 17 plot points. <laughs> <laughs> which which episode are you giving the most whelmed award to? Uh, well, okay, let's not even play around here. We, we know. <laughs> yeah. We, we know. We know the answer is unknown factors. The Karen scene alone would have elevated it, but it advances the plot. It gives us cru- crucial character development. Um, it lets Victor be Victor. It basically lets everybody be Phelps um, mm-hmm. and really deepens, like this builds, like this distrust between Black Lightning and Nightwing, builds uh, Aquaman's relationship um, and expands the world. Um, what I have to say about the quiet conversations besides all of the plot points is my RTA alteration. The, the issue, if I can get on my soapbox for a second, <laughs> um, the issues I think Young Justice runs into at times is justifiably because they're juggling so many characters. A lot of events that would work better together are spread apart over episodes, thus kind of lessening the effect of the plot. For example the last time we saw victor <laughs> you know mm-hmm. they mentioned him it is unclear why they couldn't have moved this victor plot earlier in the season um where there's not a ton that ties mm-hmm. it to the story and if you want it victor can go off for a while if you don't want him in the other stories and then come back to the team when he's ready spend time time with his father offline all that to say my rta alteration is that this really really effective plot with Harper um, and confronting domestic abuse needs to be put not only an episode or two after the incident itself, but you pair it with what Tara and Artemis experienced Mm. as, as children, because they both come Artemis 
Alexis came from a household where her father was abusive during training and probably emotionally as well. And Tara comes from years of being in a really rocky relationship with Slade, where she was punished, where she was forced to do evil things. Pair those two together, pair that plot line parallel with Harper, and then you create an, a story where people see there are different kinds and levels to this of inappropriate behavior from parents that goes beyond any acceptable norms. It becomes, you know, they're really tormenting their own children. If you put that all in, the the messages get reinforced and it doesn't. So people also don't know it's not always a bruise on the eye. It's not always um missing school, falling downstairs. There are other forms of abuse domestically that are that should be given weight and importance. And they were lost in the shuffle of so many plot lines here. So that's what I would do. I would these all in one episode so that the message rings true. It's focused on these young women who are going through this very difficult time and is providing different avenues, talking to a mentor like Artemis, talking to a counselor, talking to an official, a law official. There are options. But when you put it in an 18-episode plot line, uh, this does get lost. So that's where I am uh, with all with the whelming <laughs> yeah no that's well said i i agree like it does you know that's the that was the thing that i did like about quiet conversations and it ties very well to the title too of this conversation that harper is having with mcgann because um oh and another thing that I forgot to mention was that at the end of that episode it does provide the number that you can call as well as additional uh the website that you can find additional resources should anyone um be experiencing anything like this so that help can be found and had so and i think that that's what was important about that episode but it does get buried when you see everything else that's happening so i do like the fact of you know tie it back in with that training that you mentioned because i think that was that conversation between artemis and tara was really great to me and it does feel like even then it kind of got buried in everything else that was happening in that episode where it's just like why is it that we haven't seen Tara and Artemis kind of train a bit more intently especially because Tara is a new person on the team um so she doesn't she wasn't training with like the rest of them she doesn't have quite the same skill set but she does seem to be ahead and the per and Artemis is the perfect person to train her because of that so we could have done the whole episode, like you said, of just like that training in general and tying that conversation with the Violet Harper um, scenario that was happening and how Harper's now talking with McGann about what she's been experiencing. Um, this is so then with that being said, it's already clear that my favorite episode was also um, Unknown Factors. It was the most whelmed. It definitely felt like a true Young Justice episode. Um, where you do have like just the perfect amount of action, the perfect amount of storytelling, and like a great lesson that you leave with by the end of it. Um, the other reason why unknown factors, unfortunately, just sorry, um, quiet conversations just didn't do it for me was the fact that it almost feels like the episode was rushed a bit. Um, and I'm not even just talking about the pacing, but it does feel like you know, certain things can play out. Like we had that very long montage scene at the end 
where it's just like all the stories are coming together. You know, something that I think did well with like um, the matches Malone, you know, Professor Ivo thing, because we had someone voicing over what was going on, but we didn't really, it didn't feel like we had it this time around. And I'm still questioning why was it that Brion didn't talk the entire time? So it did feel like maybe this was an episode that got rushed out and um, they didn't have like everybody that they could have gotten. So they just decided let's try to get these like little short stories to speed up the story a little bit, the plot of the full season um, so that we can, again, because at this point at episode 20, there's really only six episodes left um, in the outsider season. So now it's like, we understand with episode 21 that we are going to be facing off against Gretchen Good. Um, we also understand that like things might be coming to a head because people are feeling either terrible about the lying that they have to do, like how Calder is feeling, or people who've been kept out the dark, that might come to light very soon as Jefferson's picking up on certain things. So um, I think that, yeah, Quiet Conversations, unfortunately, was just felt like a rushed episode. And hopefully maybe what was the main plot of that was the conversation between Harper and McGann. But it and they probably just felt they couldn't fill that up with as much. But it would have been nice to have like that moment where it's just like it was more so sort of focus on them because um, you know, it's Harper is such a new character in this world. Um, not necessarily new in comics, but like new enough that like at this point, not that many people would have known about Harper or Cullen. Um, you know, now I guess people probably know because unfortunately the character was introduced during the Gotham Knights television series. That <laughs> yeah. Um, but other than that, I think we're at a point now where it's just like I appreciate what they did for Harper did not appreciate what they did with the storytelling um, where we could have, we probably could have actually gotten rid of the, the Violet going to talk with her family part, because it's not the first time where it's like Superboy has gone on this like random adventure dealing with like the forever people or the new <laughs> gods. And then we get like this deep story coming from like the hits you at the heartstrings happening. I'm telling you, somebody in the show hated Superboy because every time he messes around with those new gods, the <laughs> episode for some reason falters yeah <laughs> um i also want to mention uh this is you know is it, even though it's a rewatch i still have trouble remembering some things mm-hmm. so for example they're setting up the tara in a really quick scene was so happy about finding violet mm-hmm. um right but the previous episode violet tells her that hey by the way i'm the reason your parents are dead yeah and this is probably going to lead to her like turn and to the good side but it doesn't make any sense because even in the episode where during a thunderstorm they're like oh comfort why wouldn't you let tara comfort violet then because then Mm. at least you have an extra bit of connection between the two Mm -hmm. here it just feels like i like i'm glad she's willing to forgive um gabrielle but i would have loved to see the uh such violet but i'd love to see that conversation of I understand when you do things that you don't want to do. Right. It could be that, that simple. And that, that's how they relate. But here, yeah, because of her reaction to now, I just don't see why Tara is so happy about this. <laughs> it still, it does still feel like Tara is too disconnected from the team to have these strong emotional reactions to them at this point. Like so far, the only one that has made sense to me was her reaction to 
um, losing that sparring match with Artemis. Like that is the only thing that seems to be within her character at this point. Um, it doesn't feel like, I don't know. It, it feels like even though she does seem to be swaying away from Slade, there's a lot of people who still probably upset her. Like, like are, is she even cool with Beast Boy? Uh, you know, she's still working on this. <laughs> like, she's not even working on the outside. She's working with the team. So it's like, are there connections happening behind the scenes that we're just not seeing? I don't know. Uh, but we got six more episodes in this season to figure, or five more episodes of this season to figure that out. <laughs> and uh, now we and... start a montage where we go through them all right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So I kind of. Kind of, I guess. Uh, <laughs> mainly because we're going to leap on the head because now that we've kind of figured out who is the true villain here, I uh, felt like this is probably a good time to actually talk about the very bad individual Gretchen Good, uh, a.k.a. Granny Goodness. Uh, so Granny Goodness first appeared in Mr. Miracle number two. Um, the subtitle for that was The Expit back in May of 1971. And fun fact, this is also where Overlord makes his debut as well. Ah, Alexa Jr. Yes. <laughs> uh, so as a new god, of course, this means that Granny Goodness was created by Jack Kirby. Uh, but the fun fact about her is that her design was influenced by the comedian Phyllis Diller. <laughs> I hope she feels flattered. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so throughout the media of everything that she's ever been in, and we're talking from comic books to first animated appearance in Superman, the animated series, live action appearance in Smallville, even uh, she's always known as one of the main disciples of Darkseid, always seen alongside like the likes of the sod, Steppenwolf and, um, you know, our boy over at Fox News, G. Gordon Goffrey. <laughs> Um, but her responsibility for Darkseid is that she's in charge of training all of Darkseid's top warriors or even just his army in general. Um, so we get a chance to learn about her origin in a future comic, um, not in the same one in this Mr. Miracle, who, as just as a quick refresher about that guy, also goes by the name of uh, Scott Free. He is a uh, son of the new gods over in New Genesis. And he was traded with um, with Orion to help stop the beef between Apocalypse and the Genesis. That did not work out. Um, so he ended up being in this X-Pit, which is a torture chamber, as we saw um, in our show. But it's not quite as crazy as it looked in the show. Mm -hmm. It's more of actually kind of like an actual torture chamber <laughs> on Apocalypse. Uh, so she was in charge of doing all of that because her thing was that she trained dark sized warriors to make sure that they followed him through torture and we get a chance to see how that all started in her origin because uh gretchen good was a member of this low class uh the peasant class of apocalyptian individuals called the low lies and uh in something i guess it's like kind of like a plot point and a lot of stories are kind of like this she was given to Darkseid's army because it was that way of like trying to see if they can take themselves out of the poverty. So she was put in Darkseid's army at, to be trained as a hound. And in that comic, where again, this was a future comic, this is the first time I think they actually showed that Gretchen Good was actually a dark skinned, bald woman. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So usually she's white. So it was kind of shocking to see that like she kind of looked like a, 
Adora Milaje, actually. <laughs> um, so yes, the hounds were the military force of an apocalypse. So while she was a part of this group, she was given this dog named Mercy. Uh, the two of them, they rose to the top of their class. And upon the graduation, her trainer told her that in order to graduate, to be promoted to the next step, she had to kill her dog. Granny didn't want to do this. So um, and she was really reluctant to do so. So she did graduate um, and she graduated because she decided to shoot and kill her trainer instead. Oh, OK. I yeah. thought this was going to turn into a John Wick, but uh, actually, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when Darkseid heard about this, he was quite intrigued. Um, so he decided to have a meeting with her and Mercy. And during their conversation, she shared that the reason why she didn't kill the dog was because it would be such a waste of a loyal servant for Darkseid. And she showed him that she had trained the dog to follow Darkseid's commands above all else, even her own. Uh, Darkseid, again, was super intrigued by this, so he decided to test that and commanded Mercy to kill Granny. Uh, unfortunately, this is when Granny actually had to kill the dog because she was wanting to make sure that even though she trained this dog to follow Darkseid's order, orders, she wanted to show that she was a better warrior than that she would be the best warrior that Darkseid will ever have. Uh, so not quite like John Wick, but a little scarier. <laughs> Uh, again, Darkseid was just super pleased about this, so he promoted her. Uh, she rose up. He promoted her past every single level you could think of and made her the new person in charge of training his armies so that she can do the same thing that she did with this dog, where using pain and torture to break their will so they all would follow Darkseid and decided to set it up. Honestly, she created like a revolutionary way of doing this training. Um, so as we know, Granny is in charge of the Furies. These are women of Apocalypse who are the most badass women of all time on this planet, who are also the most dangerous individuals that had the likes of like Big Barda. Um, I think it was like Lashia. Basically, everybody, all like crazy strong killer individuals. Um, <laughs> she also established some orphanages um, on Apocalypse and on Earth. All of the goal to brainwash them so that at a young age they will already be devoted to Dark Side and then use that as a way to keep an eye on who else might be able to join these high commanding, uh, these high commands such as the Furies and other institutions that she built up within them. Uh, she got even crazier in her storytelling where she pretended to be the goddess Athena and tricked some of the Amazons to be soldiers of Dark Side. That's brilliant. <laughs> and she did so by capturing every single one of these older gods, the old Promethean gods like Zeus, Hera. Everybody was captured by her and everybody, all the Amazons were just following her orders. That's some impressive stuff. Yeah. Uh, she also did something similar on Oa where she pretended to be another kind of god for them or a higher ranking like, cosmic being. And she got them all to believe that Hal Jordan killed the new god, Orion, so that she could continue to sway uh, the Green Lanterns in her own way. Currently, she's facing off against the Flash in uh, issues like number 798 and 799. Um, so it may come to a resolution with Flash's 800th issue coming out soon. 
But Granny Goodness is someone who I'm kind of more excited to see play a bigger part because I love seeing her roles in um, Superman, the animated series. She was voiced by um, Edward Asner. And now Mm -hmm. it's like amazing to see that this person has grown throughout every single media. So she's already, like you mentioned, in animation. She's in live action television. And we recently also saw her in Zack Snyder's Justice League. So hopefully this is means that we're going to get a chance to see more and more of Brandy goodness, um, whether it be through her very serious takes, like what happened in like Superman, the anime series in Smallville, or even more comedic takes like we saw, in, I believe in season three of Harley Quinn, it's going to be wild. When we see her here, you just know that the <laughs> heroes are going to be in trouble because the other thing about her, she can take a hit and she can give you an even harder hit. <laughs> so um, yeah, with that, just, that's granny goodness um there's a lot of great stuff that you can check out about her a lot of it's definitely always going to be connected to the new god stuff but we also get a chance to experience how crazy and evil she is which i'm hoping um you know gets to gets a chance in the bigger screen very soon um because we're going to see it soon in these next five episodes of the season of young justice outsiders so while we prep for that that wraps our episode here uh be sure to check us out on our socials and our patreon uh we are doing a lot of great things out there and more of the people that are involved the more we can do uh so in the meantime take care of yourselves and remember that not all grannies are good um some may take you down into the dark basements and do things to you not the way you're thinking get your mind out the gutter you <laughs> And if uh, your friend whips out a boom tube so y'all can skip the trains and transit, wear some earplugs because, damn, your stuff going to be blown out. <laughs> and not in the way you're thinking either. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Yet Another DC Animated Podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod.